So we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. He's the shepherd of God who has come to bring his people into his land. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone. Thanks for joining me in the Fox Den. In my last episode, I took a look at Psalm 23. And there I talked about how the Lord is our shepherd, and in him we lack nothing. The Lord our shepherd brings us into rest. He restores our souls. He is with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And he's going to bring us into his house where we will dwell with him forever. But we also saw that Jesus is the shepherd of Psalm 23. And the passage that we're going to look at in this episode will enable us to develop this idea. Now, before we begin, let me just say that Jesus himself believed that he was the fulfillment of prophecy. This isn't necessarily a new idea. Most of us recognize that the Old Testament told us about Jesus, so he is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. But Jesus' view of himself in this passage validates our faith. Now, notice in John chapter 10, Jesus says he is the good shepherd, not simply a good shepherd. He's using the definite article, the, to identify himself as the only good shepherd. The definite article, the, eliminates all other shepherds as good shepherds. Now, certainly Jesus had Ezekiel 34 in mind when he referred to himself as the good shepherd. Now, speaking of Ezekiel chapter 34, keep in mind that this book was written several hundred years before Jesus was even born. And in that passage, God is prophesying against the religious leaders in the days of Ezekiel. And we quickly gather that those religious leaders were out for their own gain. For example, in Ezekiel 34 verse 2, God tells them they've been feeding themselves. And with this judgment on the shepherds of Israel in view, God says that he will rescue his sheep. Listen to what God says in verse 11 to verse 16 in Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness." And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Seventeen times in these six verses, God says that he will do something. He will search and seek. He will rescue. He will bring them out and gather them. He will feed them. He will be their shepherd and make them lie down. He will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. He will destroy the strong. Make no mistake, according to Ezekiel 34, God is the one who does all the work of your salvation. A few verses later, 
in verses 23 and 24, God says that he is going to set up one shepherd, and he calls him his servant David, and he will feed his sheep, and he will be their shepherd, and the Lord will be their God, and David his servant shall be prince. Now we have to know that God is talking about a descendant of King David and not David himself. Ezekiel was written well after David's death. So God is talking about a descendant of David. Furthermore, we know from the genealogies in Matthew and Luke that Jesus is in the line of David. So we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. He's the shepherd of God who has come to bring his people into his land. Now with the selfish shepherds of Israel in the backdrop, we see the unselfish nature of the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18, five times Jesus refers to his death on the cross. And when we fast forward to the end of John and the other Gospels, we see that Jesus clearly gave himself over to be crucified. But notice what John says here in verse 11. He lays his life down for his sheep. And notice what he says in verses 16 to 18. He has sheep from other folds, and he must bring them. And they're going to listen to his voice. And he's making one flock, and he is the one shepherd. And then notice what he says next. The father loves him because he lays down his life that he may take it up again. Then he says that no one takes his life. He lays down his own life, and Jesus has the authority to take it up again. If we go back to Genesis chapter 2, we see that God gave Adam a command. In verses 15 to 17, he tells him that he can eat from any tree of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the day that he eats of that tree, he will surely die. Then we see in Genesis chapter 3, he eats of that tree. So death is the result of sin. And this is confirmed in Romans chapter 6 verse 23. What we deserve because of our sin is death. So here's the question. If Jesus is sinless, then how could he have died? He didn't sin. But he died because he took our sin on himself. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made Jesus sin for our sake. So the proof that Jesus took our sins on himself was that he died, but he wasn't killed. He laid down his own life. And because he was sinless, he had the authority to take it up again, meaning he rose from the dead, never to die again. Think of the the unselfish nature of our good shepherd. Not only did he die in our place, he became sin for us. Imagine what that would be like for the God of the universe who is sinless to become sin for us so that we would be rescued from sin, death, the devil, and the wrath of God. Do you see the unselfish nature of our good shepherd? But there's something else to see here. Jesus compares the good shepherd with the hired hand. And the difference we see here between the two is that the hired hand leaves the sheep and runs away to spare his own life. But do you see why he does that? Verse 13 says that he doesn't care about the sheep. And Jesus' point here is that the hired hand doesn't care about the sheep because they don't belong to him. He's the hired hand. He's not the shepherd. They don't belong to him. The good shepherd, on the other hand, he cares for his sheep. So he lays his life down for them, and he becomes sin and dies the death they deserve in order to bring them into the best pasture, which will happen at the resurrection. 
our resurrection. Now notice how the hired hand saved his own life at the expense of the sheep, but the good shepherd saved the lives of the sheep at the expense of his own life. Again, as we fast forward to the end of John, we see the words of Jesus fulfilled as he is crucified to save God's people from their sin. Now, I want to draw your attention to something else here. Jesus, our good shepherd, did not come to gather just any sheep. He came to gather his sheep. Notice what Jesus says. First, in verse 11, he tells us that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, not for sheep. We saw the use of the definite article previously when Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. Now we see the use of the definite article the referring to the sheep. What does that mean? That definite article indicates a particular group of sheep. That group doesn't include just any sheep. Listen further to what Jesus says in verse 14. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. The shepherd doesn't gather sheep that belong to another shepherd. He gathers his sheep. And this isn't the only place that we see this. In verse 3 of John chapter 10, Jesus says that his sheep hear his voice, and he knows his own sheep. He knows them by name. And we see the same language later in John chapter 10, verses 24 to 27. So when the Jews gathered around him, and they told them, if he's the Christ, just tell him plainly. And Jesus tells them he already has, and they don't believe him. But look at why they don't believe him. Not because he didn't prove himself. It's not because the evidence just wasn't clear enough. They don't believe him because they're not his sheep. They don't belong to him. His sheep hear his voice, they know him, and they follow him. Did you see that? The unbelieving Pharisees didn't believe because they weren't Jesus' sheep. It's certain that Jesus' sheep will indeed hear his voice, and they will follow him. That's what Jesus said. His sheep hear his voice, he knows them, and they follow him. Not they might follow him. If he's persuasive enough, they hear his voice, and they follow him. It's certain, there is no doubt, that Jesus is going to rescue his sheep. That's what he came for. Jesus took our place on the cross, suffering a brutal death that we deserved because of our sinful and evil hearts. And now God has reconciled us to himself in Christ. Your sins are wiped away, all of them. And as God said in Ezekiel 34, he sought you out. He brought you into the fold. He healed your wounds. He did all the work. Rest in his marvelous grace. There's one more thing that we need to look at. Listen again to what God says in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. God himself will search for his sheep and seek them out. And then listen to verse 13. He will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries. What is God saying? He's going to do the work. But we see Jesus saying something very similar in verse 16 of John chapter 10. He has sheep from another fold, and he has to bring them, and they will listen to his voice. Notice that Jesus is the one who brings his sheep into the fold, not us. You see, Jesus didn't open the gate and then you walked in. He went after you, he found you, and he brought you to the fold. Paul tells us the same thing in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his Son. God did the work. Jesus, the good shepherd, brought us into the fold. 
Do you think the shepherd's going to let you go? But look also how Jesus brings sheep into the fold with his voice. At this point, you should be making some connections. How did God create? He spoke. You see the same thing here. Jesus calls his sheep and they follow him. By the way, Jesus calmed the storm the same way. He healed the sick the same way. He raised Lazarus the same way with his voice. In John 10 verse 3, Jesus says that the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then in verse 27, his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Now think about that for a moment. His sheep hear his voice. How do we hear his voice when he's not physically present on earth? This is actually a very important question. Well, this is how he does it. Jesus actually calls his people through the preaching of his word, and only his people respond in faith. Now, we're going to take some time to do some analysis on a particular text, and I hope I don't lose you as we go through this exercise. But listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they do not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I read this particular verse from the New American Standard Bible because it captures Paul's point more clearly. If you compare this passage with other versions, you may have noticed something. You may have noticed that there was no of before the whom in the second question of verse 14. Your translation probably has of before the whom. Notice the significance of the absence of that two-letter word. Putting the of before the whom would read like this. How will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Now, this leads you to believe that you have to hear about Jesus in order to come to faith. Now, that's true. You have to hear about Jesus in order to come to faith. However, there's something far more significant going on here in the preaching of the gospel. The New American Standard helps us see that we must hear Jesus himself in order to come to faith. You see, that second question in verse 14 says, How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? So it's not saying, how are they going to believe in him of whom they haven't heard? It's, how are they going to believe in him whom they haven't heard? I hope you're catching the distinction here. The point that Paul is making is that we don't hear about Jesus. We hear the voice of Jesus himself. And we must hear the voice of Jesus himself in order to come to faith and be nourished in our souls. It's not just hearing about Jesus. It's Jesus himself speaking to us and by the power of the Holy Spirit, strengthening our faith. And Romans chapter 10, verse 14, lines up well with John 10. You see, this makes sense. My sheep hear my voice. Was that just a metaphor? Was that just figurative language? Was he just talking about those people who were at the same geographical location that he was when he spoke? No. Jesus is talking about all time, Old Testament 
and New Testament. Do you know how people come to faith? Jesus speaks. Do you know how God created? God spoke. Do you know how Jesus calmed the storm? He spoke. Do you know how he healed the sick? He spoke. Do you know how he raised Lazarus from the dead? He spoke. Do you know how he's going to raise you from the dead? He's going to speak. Take a look at John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. God calls people to faith the same way. And by that, I don't mean he encourages you to believe. I mean, he calls you to salvation and you respond, not because of your will, but because the good shepherd brings you into the fold. You see, the voice of God is very powerful and you cannot thwart that. You can't resist the voice of Jesus. If you're a believer in Christ, you are so because Jesus called you by name, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you responded. But you never could have resisted. How can you resist the voice of God? You see, even today, Jesus is calling his sheep. He just does so through the preachers that he sends. Paul said that in Romans chapter 10. How are they going to hear without a preacher? And then let me emphasize what Paul says in verse 17. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes by the word of Christ, or said another way, hearing comes by Christ's word. Jesus speaks, and the spiritually dead come to life. The sheep hear the voice of the good shepherd, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, they respond in faith. People come to the shepherd not by hearing about the shepherd, but by hearing the voice of the shepherd. Jesus called you through the gospel, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you heard his voice and you followed him. What that means is that you're not just any sheep. You're his sheep. But you're not his sheep because you responded. You responded because you're his sheep. You were his sheep before he called you. That's why he called you. You are the very ones that Jesus came to bring into the fold. You are the very ones for whom he laid down his life. You are the very ones whom Jesus will raise from the dead, just as he himself rose from the dead. Christ gathers his sheep by his voice, and he does so by taking the gospel to the ends of the earth through his people. Jesus sends his people throughout the world with the gospel, and he calls his sheep through the gospel. And John 10 paints a very clear picture. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, and he gathers them. In other words, Jesus does all the work. Take a look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and notice what Jesus says. He will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We can rest assured that Jesus will build his church. He will gather his people. Do you realize that missions and evangelism can never fail? They can never fail because Christ does all the work. Even in our weakest attempt to share the gospel, Jesus does the work. Nothing can thwart that. Do you realize world governments try to squash the church? Some countries are more friendly to Christianity than others. But every national government is evil, and they hate God. And many of them are extremely unfriendly and try to eliminate the church, and their efforts will fail. The joke's on them. There's nothing they can do. 
because they're fighting against the Good Shepherd. Even in nations that are extremely hostile to Christ, the church is there, and there's nothing those nations can do about it. Do you realize that Jesus' church has infiltrated every nation? Every nation. They can't stop him. So take comfort. You who recognize your own sin and wickedness and depend on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have been rescued by God. You didn't search for him. He searched for you. You didn't find him. He found you. You didn't rescue yourself. He rescued you. You didn't come into the fold by your own power. He brought you in and gathered you with the rest of his sheep. You don't feed yourself. He feeds you. You don't make rest for yourself. He gives you rest. You don't heal yourself. He heals you. You don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and find strength within yourself. He strengthens you. You don't defeat your enemy. Christ our shepherd has already defeated your enemy. The sheep in Psalm 23 lays down, eats, drinks, and rests. The shepherd does all the work. The sheep in John 10 are recipients of the work of the good shepherd. They're brought in, they're gathered, they're given eternal life, they're protected by Christ and the Father. Did you catch that in verse 27 and 30? You are protected first by Christ and second by the Father. You are doubly protected. No one can snatch you out of Christ's hand and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Dear child of God, rest in the grace of God. He has done all the work of your salvation. He has given you eternal life. That means your eternal life has already begun, and he will protect you. The enemy cannot pry you from the hand of God. You can't pry yourself from the hand of God. You are secure, so rest in his marvelous grace.